Hey, welcome back to the Addicted to Healthy podcast, your one-stop destination for all things health and a kick-ass life. I'm Laurence, certified nutritional practitioner and health coach and the host of the Addicted to Healthy podcast. So today I have Dr. Robin Murphy on the podcast. She's a clinical research advisor and co-developer of genetic testing at AOR and DNA Labs. She's a practicing naturopathic doctor that works with those suffering from digestive complaints and hormone imbalances and is immensely passionate about educating both healthcare professionals and the public about advances and clinical application of genetics. So welcome, Robin, on the podcast. I'm so excited to dive into this topic today. I've never talked about this on the podcast, and I think it's super fascinating. So thank you for coming on. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for um, inviting me to talk about this. As I mentioned uh, in the intro, um, I'm just really excited because it's such an interesting uh, area of development as far as genetics. It's now available to, uh, direct to public, um, and it's great to be able to educate the public just what they can get from this type of testing. So what got you interested in this whole world of genetics and DNA and all of that? Were you always fascinated by this? Um, well, I have to say, you know, I, I didn't do necessarily genetics in my undergrad. I did take genetics as part of my pre-medical uh, training. And my roommate actually at the time was doing his bachelor degree in genetics. Um, after I graduated naturopathic medical school, um, I was working for a clinic and we ended up getting a, t a kit sent in the mail. And it said, do your genetics for free and get your, uh, get your report um, read by a medical genomicist. And I thought that was really interesting. So I sent my DNA in and from that test, I ended up getting a job offer at the genetics company. So we just had such an amazing conversation. I was coming at it from a clinical aspect. He was coming at it from a medical genomicist uh, perspective. It was a startup genetics company that was uh, focusing on lifestyle genomics. And that's really what set my career off. Uh, so I ended up uh, doing that full time for a couple years, developing tests, uh, writing the reports, training the clinicians, uh, and just kind of getting out there, uh, educating the public about the, its application. And so you've used it on yourself and clients? Yeah, I've used it. So in uh, Ontario, um, up until we switched regulations, we were able to use it with patients. Um, I've definitely used it on myself. Uh, there's family members uh, that have used, this, used it as well. And then I, I uh, occasionally, I, I, I help the company uh, DNA Labs look at the uh, report, um, look at the results, and uh, help to tailor uh, some of those clinical recommendations as well. Amazing. So we're going to dive into all the details. I'm so excited to, you know, get into all the information and the details about this. But let's yeah. start out with the basics so that everyone's on the same page. Um, so what is DNA and what is genetic testing? Okay, yeah, that's a, that's a good question because you may not know what we're talking about here. So DNA, uh, it's, it's really a, a set of instruction that determines your life. So it's telling all of your cells what to do, what to make. And it's the signals that is driving the body's development right from when we're just a cell, you know, and we are uh, created. It's what creates life. And so when we look at um, the DNA, it's, it's a genetic code. So it's made up of a set of four letters, uh, A, C, T, and G. And depending on the order of these letters, it will determine the final product. 
So we can kind of think of this like a blueprint. So a blueprint is a set of instructions that the architect creates and the developer uh, construction workers will make. If you change a blueprint, you can change the, the outcome of that drawing. So it, say it's a building, it could be uh, a minor change, it could be where the window is being placed, or it could be a significant change, like where the, the structural columns are uh, affecting the overall integrity of that building. So what we find with uh, genetics is there's mutations that occur in this code, where uh, individuals will have slight variations of this uh, set of instructions that can change the biochemistry of our body and ultimately change uh, either diseases or disease risk, uh, how we interact with the environment, and some of those lifestyle factors that we'll talk about uh, in a bit. Awesome, thank you for that. I think that's super helpful. So when we do this testing, what kind of information is provided? Like what's the point of doing it? Yeah, so there's, um, so genetic testing, there's a, f there's a few different types. There's genetic testing looking at diseases. So that'll be typically through a hospital. You'll look at genetic-based diseases, which are things like cystic fibrosis. These are diagnosed very, very early on. There's other type of genetic testing. Um, you know, you can do paternity testing to see who the father is of a baby. You can look at fertility testing. Um, to see for any chromosomal errors um, during pregnancy. And then there's lifestyle genetics, which is really what, what is available now to the public, um, which influences how you're responding to the environment. So when we look at lifestyle genetic testing, what it's offering is information into specific dietary regimes for you based on your genetics. So this could be, you know, are you tolerant to fat? Um, are you, will you, would you do better on a low carb or, you know, a moderate carb diet? Um, it's looking at food and environmental sensitivities. So that's including gluten sensitivity, uh, lactose, uh, salt, risk for nutrient deficiencies. Um, so you may actually need more nutrients from your diet, uh, a higher dose than your neighbor, just because of risk for deficiencies and an increased need for that uh, nutrient. Um, there's so many other areas that it, it uh, can give you information on looking at detox, looking at, you know, risk for inflammation, um, other types of diseases like cardiovascular disease and, and diabetes. And these are typically um, very much multifactorial. There is a number of different factors, the environment, your diet, your lifestyle, but also we're realizing that uh, genetics also plays a part. Um, looking at exercise recovery, uh, recovery um, injury risk, uh, and other factors around physical fitness, and then e even looking at things like mental health, so sensitivity to stress, risk for depression, uh, propensity to even ruminate, <laughs> and then uh, hormone, thyroid, estrogen, and testosterone balance. So it, it's, you know, I think there's really something for everybody here, um, and it's, it's giving you kind of an overall screening of your of your health to see if there's any areas that either you need to work on uh, prevent or depending on your goals can help strategize uh, some more individualized um, personalized treatments yeah i've been wanting to do this for so long uh, i've done a lot of different tests from like blood tests to different kind of scanners and all sorts of things but this one is definitely something that i really think would give me so many answers and for just any person to not just 
you know, address symptoms that are going on, acute issues, but also to avoid chronic disease and, you know, the long-term effects of whether it be they're eating foods that they shouldn't, or maybe they're doing the wrong lifestyle practices, or they have genes that are more susceptible to a certain disease. So how do you find genetic testing in your practice versus other testing when it comes to addressing the health issues of your patients? So just like any test, you know, what a clinician needs to think of is this is a piece of the puzzle. And, and same with the patient, same with um, the public as well. The genetics is looking at uh, your health in a specific way. It's looking at what are those set of instructions? What is the groundwork and the foundation that is um, providing the overall instructions for you and how you interact with your environment. So it, it's utilized more as, uh, like I said, a screening tool. It can give us a deeper understanding about some of the innate uh, workings of, of different biochemical pathways and what people are at risk for. And it, it's really helpful when we combine that with um, laboratory examinations. So looking at current labs, looking at you know, what the symptoms are, what the goals of the patient, uh, as well as family history too. So we're, we're really taking all of the, as much objective uh, information as possible and, and um, compiling that into a, an assessment for treatment. And so you talked about genetics and, you know, chronic disease and epigenetics. I'm going to get into that a little bit, but specifically for hormonal imbalances like PCOS, because that's mm -hmm. what I talk about a lot. Um, and it's definitely becoming more and more common in women nowadays. Um, in your opinion and through the research that you've done, what is the role of genetics in the development of PCOS and other hormonal imbalances? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, uh, this is a really interesting topic because um, what we're seeing is this huge uh, amount of research and literature coming out related to a genetics and hormonal imbalances, as well as looking at different environmental toxins like endocrine disruptors and their impact on developing hormone uh, imbalances. But not everybody who is exposed to these types of chemicals will develop a hormonal imbalance. So this, the genetic testing is helping us to understand who is susceptible to the toxins that they're being exposed to and what are the effects that they may have on the body and, and development of say something like PCOS. So PCOS, it, it partly is genetic. We know that it has to do with the body's uh, inability to clear uh, androgens, but also uh, insulin, um, insulin sensitivity, um, where the high insulin levels are actually driving the androgen production. And that's what's leading to a lot of symptoms uh, related to PCOS. And so we also find that uh, there's a high sensitivity to stress. So each of these areas can be... Um, associated with different genes that are responsible for clearing uh, androgens and testosterone. So some women, they're actually, they have a reduced capacity to convert the testosterone to DHT and then to remove it out of the body. Um, high levels of DHT, this is dihydrotestosterone. What this does, it'll shut down some of the genes um, that are converting testosterone to estrogen. So this is what can, can really affect the, um, the growth of the egg and the maturation of the oocyte. So this is where you'll get the lack of ovulation in women and then higher androgen levels. Uh, 
Uh, we also see there's risk for insulin insensitivity based on your genetics, and then estrogen metabolism um, can drastically be affected as well. And so with the genetic testing, is this something we can see, for instance, for instance, the conversion rate of testosterone to DHT, or if you're not able to metabolize estrogen, et cetera? I know a lot of women who literally, you know, just kind of throw spaghetti on the wall. Let's take this supplement because somebody mm -hmm. said that. Let's take DIM for estrogen metabolism, um, et cetera. But obviously, we're all going to yeah. be a little bit different. We all have different needs. So where does the testing come in play when it comes to kind of targeting what you really need to focus on with PCOS? Yeah, so what it would, would show you is looking at estrogen metabolism. You know, are you a good candidate for utilizing DIM or are you more of, uh, you know, the case where you're susceptible to not clearing the testosterone through, say, uh, detox pathways like glucuronidation? So in, in those instances, depending on what the genetics show, I may choose to use vitamin C or milk thistle to increase glucuronidation, or I may choose DIM or calcium deglucurate, you know, to help with estrogen metabolism. It's also looking at um, other detox pathways related to B vitamins, um, which are extremely important as well when we're looking at PCOS. So it, it, it helps to kind of narrow down um, and be more specific and, and purposeful in what the treatments are rather than just kind of uh, trying a supplement. And what I find in, for patients is when they're doing that on their own, they'll they'll read a blog or they're, they'll hear a good story about, you know, I, oh, I just took zinc and it cleared all my hirsutism, you know, I got rid of all my acne or they say, oh, that's great, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try it. But they don't try the right dose, they don't try the right form and they don't try it for long enough. And unless you're being, um, you have the assistance of a, of a naturopathic doctor or another or medical doctor helping, uh, it can be kind of hard and frustrating to navigate. So the more information we have as far as the you know, genetic testing, the lab tests, the hormone tests, um, the better the treatment is going to be as far as uh, how uh, accurate and likely it's going to have a good outcome. And so you talked a little bit about the environment and things like EDCs, but I'd love for you to get into it a little bit more about how our environment interacts with our genetics, specifically epigenetics, which is mm -hmm. um, you know, developing a lot more research too, especially when it comes to PCOS. Um, endocrine disrupting chemicals for sure have been shown to be a trigger even before we're born in the womb. So are you able to get into a little bit of that? Yeah, that's, uh, so epigenetics, you know, the word actually just means above genetics. This is how the body is regulating the, how, what genes are getting turned on and off. So if you think about it, the body doesn't want to waste any energy. It's only going to make things that it needs. And so if we're, um, let's say, you know, in a clean environment, uh, we're not being exposed to any chemicals, the body isn't going to waste resources on upregulating or increasing expression of genes that are responsible for detoxification. On the other side, you know, if we're surrounded by um, chemicals and, you know, we don't have a clean water source or we're using a lot of um, chemical-based products for makeup and shampoo and things like this, then that is increasing the exposure of these endocrine disruptors. And then that's signaling to the body that we need to turn on these genes. So it, the body can regulate how, um, you know, how these genes are getting turned on and off. When we look at epigenetics, um, there's a few different 
modifications that can be made. There's short-term epigen epigenetic modifications. So this is in the example if we're, um, let's say, drinking caffeine. Caffeine will actually stimulate our body to um, produce the liver enzymes. So it could unlock some of those epigenetic um, markers to allow the, the gene to get expressed. Or there's long-term epigenetic modification. So this is what you were talking about uh, in regards to transgenerational uh, tendencies where in utero exposure of a chemical to the baby can actually cause um, subsequent issues down the road um, because of long-term epigenetic modification. So for example, if a baby is exposed to cigarette smoke while um, they're in utero, this can actually lead to respiratory problems in the offspring, no matter if they're exposed to smoke uh, or not. Uh, we also know that antidepressants can also change the expression of serotonin receptors long term. So this is uh, when we're getting into understanding the lifestyle factors that influence genes. This is another layer to understanding the genetics and how that shows up for people. Yeah, and I think it's something, especially with PCOS, I see a lot where women are just told that there's nothing you can do. It's a lifelong condition. Um, just take birth control or whatever, metformin. Um, but the epigenetics world is really fascinating, and it also shows us and gives us hope that it can switch on genes and also, you know, trigger different symptoms, et cetera. So what can we do later in life, for instance, if we are exposed um, and we have the genes and our, our mother, you know, ingests different chemicals, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. Is there hope for us after or are we doomed, quote unquote, like a lot of us are thinking? <laughs> no, I think, I think that's where a lot of the hesitancy for people uh, in doing genetic testing is because they think their genes are set all and be all and that they can't do anything to overcome that. And that's the complete opposite of what we're talking about here. The genes that are typically being tested are ones that we know are uh, modifiable by the environment. They respond to the environment. There's um, actionable items that we can start to implement that will, can reverse some of these effects. So when we look at, uh, say, endocrine disruptors, we're really looking at how are these getting detoxified in the body. Um, so looking at uh, glutathione pathways as well as B vitamin pathways called methylation, this is extremely important. And for some people in some of these genes uh, for detoxification for glutathione, they're actually missing these genes. Um, and so it really deters them from um, protecting their overall cells and body from the chemicals. So we know that there's more uh, oxidative stress, more DNA damage that can occur because of that. Um, but also it makes it more difficult for them to clear some of these endocrine disruptors. So that's where you would say, okay, these would be this patient would be a great candidate for something like glutathione or NAC, and really focusing more on the antioxidants as well as supporting other detox pathways. We have a number of different ways that the body can get rid of this. So um, it's about utilizing those pathways as well. Um, and doing things like infrared sauna. We know that infrared sauna, uh, you know, 30 to 45 minutes, five days a week, can over a five week period can drastically uh, reduce uh, overall chemical and toxin accumulation. So I, I've heard, you know, up to 80%. So that's one way to start getting rid of some of these chemicals in the body, um, in addition to the B vitamins, glutathione. Um, and some of the other nutrients for, for detox. I mentioned milk thistle and vitamin C as well. 
Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because I think a lot of us, as you mentioned, if we know we have the gene, then it's like panic mode. Oh my goodness. Like, or even if we maybe have gene for cancer or whatever it is, then we just think we're doomed, but it's really a tool to help be more strategic in our lifestyle, our diet, our choices. Right. So that yeah, really helps exactly. us be as healthy as we can be and then avoid the long-term effects. So thank you for saying that. I think that's really important because as you know, mindset is very big part of healing anything and being healthy. So if we're already in the mindset of, Oh, I'm doomed. There's nothing I can do this is it, then that's a huge part of the healing and the outcomes as well. So super mm-hmm. important. Um, and then I just want to look into a little bit before we get into the microbiome, um, specifically for PCOS, what are the biggest issues you see come up with PCOS patients and their genetic tests? As you mentioned a little bit, like insulin resistance, inflammation, poor detox, these are all usually underlying mm-hmm. factors. Um, mm-hmm. But what do you see like the top three that usually come up? Yeah, so it, it definitely has to do with the androgen elimination. So um, actually, the women have a increased conversion of testosterone to DHT. And DHT is more potent than testosterone. So that's one of the big ones that I see. Um, and from that, we, can, we know that we'll be using things like zinc and saw palmetto, um, even licorice to help with the androgen uh, modifications. Um, and then we look at what I see is insulin resistance. So there's a gene looking at um, how, how the body responds to carbohydrate uh, intake. For some, when we consume carbohydrates, there is a, a little rise in insulin during the pre-digestive phase. And then it it's gradually spikes and then gradually comes down. So you're getting more of a balanced um, uh, blood sugar uh, levels and you're not getting into these high peaks and then these crashes. Whereas with uh, women with PCOS, what I'll see is based on their gene, they're the ones who are very sensitive to uh, high carbohydrate, particularly uh, simple carbs, you know, the sugars and the breads uh, and anything with white flour. And what happens is instead of that nice little pre-digestive insulin uh, um, spike, it'll, there's no real pre-digestive um, increase that's priming the body to start opening up those uh, glucose doors and letting the sugar in. Rather, it's just this immediate spike. So their insulin goes way high, and then that drops the blood sugar, and usually they're crashing after. So um, it's not allowing them to utilize blood sugar as readily. And we know that high insulin is also a stimulating factor for the genes that are starting to convert the progesterone into the androgens. So it's driving androgen production. Um, and, and this is what uh, is causing a lot of the symptoms. The third part that I see is a sensitivity to stress. And what's interesting is there's a gene, um, it's called COMT, COMT. Uh, this is responsible for removing catecholamines. So these are your dopamine, uh, epinephrine, norepinephrine, or, or your adrenaline. Um, it also helps to clear estrogen too. So with individuals, with women, especially who have a slow version of this gene, it, it means they have a tendency for when they get stressed and they produce that adrenaline, that it hangs around in the body and the brain a little bit longer. That can cause more anxiety. That can cause more sensitivity to stress. In addition, this is also clearing out estrogen. So if, if there's a slower um, ability to clear estrogen, 
we can also see higher levels of estrogen or estrogen dominant type symptoms. And this could also be anxiety uh, or breast tenderness or um, you know, weight around the hips and trouble sleeping, mood changes, PMS, you know, there's a lot. Uh, so these would be the, kind of the top three that I see with women with PCOS. So knowing this, uh, you know, I think can really help to uh, focus on, on what treatments, you know, at what time and uh, for how long too. Awesome. That's super informative. I had no idea about the comp gene. I think that's really mm -hmm. fascinating. Um, and just one more question about um, what you just mentioned, insulin resistance and sensitivity to stress. What would be your top natural solutions for that? Obviously, it's all going to be a little bit different, um, you know, depending on the person, but mm -hmm. what are kind of your go-tos? So for insulin resistance, my go-to is uh, chromium. So chromium can help to resensitize the receptors. Um, I also use vanadium, and there's some herbs too, uh, like mamortica, or it's called bitter, um, bitter melon. Uh, works really well. I, I also like the adaptogens. So there's the Canadian ginseng that is, a, is an excellent uh, regulator of blood sugar, but it's also working on our stress response as well. So that you're kind of hitting two birds with one stone. Um, and I also like for women... Um, Sorry, not well, specifically Canadian ginseng, because I know there's Canadian a few ginseng. different ones. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Siberian ginseng I, I use as well, but that's more stress as opposed... You know, if we're, mm -hmm. we're working on stress, we're obviously working on blood sugar as well, um, but specifically the Canadian ginseng. Um, works really well on insulin. And then um, for stress, what I like to do uh, is use things like L-theanine. So there's a few different ways to approach stress. You know, it's one, reduce your sensitivity to it. So that can be using things like anxiolytics, uh, calming herbs like passion flower works really well. Um, ashwagandha as well is a great one. And then I like to use other um, nutrients like L-theanine. So L-theanine is found in green tea. Green tea, if you notice, you're, if you drink a lot of it, you get that caffeine buzz, but you don't get the shakes. <laughs> you don't get the jitteriness. And it's actually because L-theanine is found in green tea. And what it does is it brings down the brain from a high stress state um, into a calm, relaxed, focused uh, an alert state. So L-theanine can help to reduce the uh, sensitivity to stress, but also reestablish that healthy connection between the brain and the adrenal glands. So you're not constantly pumping out the, the stress hormones and, and getting into this vicious cycle of producing the, the stress hormones, not being able to clear it, and then just kind of <laughs> re-traumatizing yourself over and over again. Amazing. Love it. Thank you so much for that. And then one of the topics I'm really excited to dive into, because I know you've looked into this a lot, is the estrobilome and mm -hmm. how the microbiome affects our hormone balance. Yeah. So estrobilome, it's just fun to say, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's, it's really the two words is estrogen and microbiome put together. And it, it has to do with the types of bacteria within our gut that we're starting to realize have a huge impact on estrogen metabolism. So depending on, uh, you know, different types of species and their activity um, can actually affect your overall estrogen 
metabolism and estrogen levels within the body. So researchers are starting to find out that this can influence not only estrogen levels, but a woman's total estrogen exposure in their lifetime. And this is one of the risk factors for uh, estrogen-based or hormonal-based cancers. So it, it's a hot topic, uh, new in the literature. Um, we find that there's a lot that can affect our estrobilome. So this is, when you think about the microbiome, we're, we think about this whole ecosystem of bacteria that really have co-developed and evolved with us over you know, hundreds and thousands of years, if not millions. And so we've developed a, a complete reliance on these for certain things like B vitamins, um, for certain um, energy uh, products, short-chain fatty acids to help with the health of our colon. Um, and we're also finding that it almost acts like a, 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 its own organ. It, it's affecting our metabolism. It can affect our uh, vitamin status. Uh, you know, if we have risk for inflammation or depression, even autoimmune diseases, and as I mentioned, cancers as well. So um, there's a number of things that can influence our, our estrabolome. So external influences are things like diet. You know, are you eating a lot of prebiotic foods, fibers, or probiotics? And I'm not just talking about the little capsules that people eating are eating. It's more about fermentable foods. You know, that's where we get trillions of probiotics from our food. Uh, it can also be affected by antibiotic use. Um, if you've had any sort of infections that can throw off your um, microbiome and estrabolome. And then lifestyle, uh, living environment, um, you know, chemicals we know have a huge impact. Um, even the, the company Monsanto, so they make a pesticide called Roundup. We're starting to realize that this directly impacts the health of our microbiome. And it's meant to be a, a pesticide, right, and kill off the pests from our crops. But we're starting to realize it may be killing off the the, the bugs, and not pests, but <laughs> bugs from our from our gut too. Uh, so that can have a big influence. Uh, and we also look at internal factors that can influence the microbiome. The microbiome is is very sensitive to stress. So there's actually more serotonin produced in the gut than there is in the brain. And so just think about this, you know, the constantly the gut is purveying the environment and setting signals back up to the brain. So if we're in a stress state, it can drastically affect even the function of our uh, microbiome or the microbiome can affect how our brain uh, interacts with the environment and responds to stress. Um, and we also know genetics and uh, age have a big influence on the microbiome, depending on, you know, if you were breastfed, um, you know, if, if you were delivered vaginally or through C-section, uh, and then uh, even just physiology and digestive tract um, anatomies can, can have a big influence as well. Yeah, I think a lot of us don't think about that when it comes to, for instance, depression or mood imbalances. That's really common with PCOS too. And a lot of women ask, like, is this normal? Why am I feeling like this? And we just don't look at the gut, even though the research is really coming out about this now. It's super fascinating. So I think that's mm -hmm. really something that's important to look at. And, you know, for most holistic practitioners, gut is really the first place to start with. Um, even most of us are born nowadays without, you know, 
good gut bacteria. We're not born. We're born C-section now. We're not breastfed, etc. Um, we're ingesting all these toxins. We're not eating, as you mentioned, probiotics, prebiotics. So there's definitely even more work that we do need to do. And if somebody doesn't work on that, you know, in early stages, it's worse and worse. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think I did hear somebody say that. The, our gut microbiome does change on a daily basis in regards to what we're exposed to. Um, mm-hmm. Is that true? Yeah, it is. Uh, they've looked at studies where they've done, uh, they've taken someone who's an omnivore and then switched them to a vegetarian diet. And in four days, their overall uh, composition of their bacteria uh, shifts dramatically. And then if they take that same individual and then put them back into a carnivore diet and, you know, full meat, then we also see dramatic shifts within even four days. What we're, there's also studies looking at fecal transplants and this isn't for the, the faint of heart, but, um, they actually take stool from a donor uh, and then in, insert it into or implant. I don't even know what the term is for that, but you know they they donate it to the recipient. And these are for people who are suffering from autoimmune diseases and inflammatory bowel disease. And what they're doing and what they're seeing is that because they're shifting the microbiome in you know a few uh, weeks, they're they're noticing that their inflammation levels, the um, autoimmune uh, symptoms, are all coming down because of that. And so, you know, I still think it's early on the technology for assessing what microbes are present uh, is still developing. Um, There's a new test that came out. It's called PCR. So it's looking at actually the genetics uh, of the uh, bacteria in the gut, because a lot of the bacteria, there's over a thousand different species. Okay. So it's, it's a, a huge ecosystem there and it's hard to culture because when you're culturing a bacteria, you need oxygen typically to do that. And if it's the bacteria that don't need oxygen, it can be very hard to culture. So some of the stool tests, it's going to give you a good insight into uh, what we call the aerobic bacteria, but not necessarily some of those other anaerobic bacteria or um, bacteria that thrive on low oxygen um, communities. So now they're starting to come out with more, um, it's PCR, which is actually a genetic-based test, but it's the genetics of the uh, microbiome. Um, So they do see changes for sure. Yeah, that is so fascinating. And the research is just coming out, right? It's like pretty new. So can't wait to see what comes out next. But so this is definitely something that needs to be a daily practice, obviously, if it changes so quickly and has such a profound effect on our whole entire health and our whole body. Um, But I do think, I don't know about you, but when I ask somebody, like, have you done any like gut work, gut healing? Do you support your gut? And they say, yeah, I just take a probiotic a day. Uh, But as you mentioned, that's usually not enough. So how do we support support our gut microbiome um, and then mm-hmm. obviously help with the estrogen detox at the same time. Yeah. So with the gut microbiome, uh, you know, the first factor is looking at, okay, are there any current infections? I think that's important because that can really throw off the ecology of the gut um, and clearing those infections are important. But part of it is fiber and the prebiotics. Those are feeding the healthy bacteria. Um, we also want to look at the types of foods that we're consuming. Do they have a high sugar content? Do they have a high chemical content? Those will have a, a, a huge impact. Um, making sure that we're also looking at uh, support around the microbiome to, su- 
to help with estrogen detox. So we know that uh, ingredients like calcium deglucurate, this is um, what this does is it helps to inhibit beta glucuronidase. This is an enzyme that breaks apart the bond between the estrogen and the little product that the liver puts on it. So this, what the liver does, this is called, uh, this is one of the detox pathways. It's called glucuronidation. And what it does is it binds a glucuronic acid to estrogen. And then that makes it more uh, water soluble and easier for the body to get rid of it. So it, it puts it into the bile and then it goes into the stool. Once it's in the stool, if it's sitting around, it's getting exposed to the bacteria in our colon. If there's any constipation and it's sitting in the colon, you know, the, the stool becomes dry and hard. Uh, the bacteria is actually breaking apart these bonds. Now the estrogen is free to go back into circulation into the body. So this is putting a, a lot of strain on the liver as well as can influence total estrogen burden. Um, it's called the enterohepatic circulation. So we can use things like calcium deglucurate to reduce this process, uh, making sure we have ample fiber, as I mentioned, with water, because we want to make sure that there is no constipation. We're having regular bowel movements. Um, we know that cruciferous vegetables, broccoli, um, this is a lot of great food for the microbiome. It also helps with our detoxification. Um, it helps with clearing estrogen as well. Um, and then, as I mentioned, uh, making sure that you're removing any xenoestrogens. So these are typically found in plastics, um, plastics uh, you know, that you heat and microwave your food in. It's, it's anything that causes a, uh, that slippery texture within shampoo and conditioner uh, it, or even makeup. Uh, there's a great website uh, by Environmental Working Group. So it's ewg.org, and then they have a site called Skin Deep. And this is a great tool for, for people to access, to, to actually go and check out their products to see are there chemicals in there that could be potentially harming them? And is it, um, is it safe for the environment too? Um, also looking at different drugs and synthetic hormones too that you're, you're consuming will also affect the microbiome. Um, and obviously your overall health as well. And so one more question for you before we, you know, end off. Um, mm -hmm. I know you do work with AOR and DNA labs for the testing, but if somebody was looking into, because I know there's a lot of tests out there now that do DNA testing, um, but how do we choose a good DNA test? What do we have to look for? Mm -hmm. I think the most important question is, is looking at why you want to do the genetic testing because there are so many options out there. Um, each company kind of has their own spin on the information. Um, if you're looking for uh, fitness uh, and exercise, uh, you know, strategies, if you're looking for disease prevention, if you're looking for um, supplement recommendation or you're looking for hormones, uh, that's a key area to look at um, when choosing a company. Um, also look at where they're doing their processing of their genetic information. So um, is it a CLIA certified lab that they're processing the um, genetic sample through? What this means... Sorry, what was it called? It's, it's a CLIA certified, yeah, so C-L-I-A. Okay, thank you. This, this is a designation um, that's held within the States for labs that are processing genetic material for diagnostic purposes. What this means is that they have an extremely high standard 
for uh, the controls that they're running and making sure that whatever they're reporting is is close to 100% accurate, you know, 99.9% um, accuracy and reproducibility. So this is important, and this is different from some of the other companies that do uh, research-based um, genetic testing. So there may be a degree of error in that. Um, and then obviously looking at cost, and sometimes if your practitioner is familiar with genetic testing, um, perhaps using a test that they're familiar with. Um, because it does take a lot to um, be able to implement this, and uh, that's important. Also, usability, I think, is another one that's coming out. I'm seeing some really great products, um, great tests available that are making it easy and easier for the public to be able to understand this information, which I think is extremely empowering. Because the more information that we can have, you know, as patients, as the public, you know, we're more informed in, in making a decision uh, for our own health and kind of taking that responsibility um, and, and being a collaborator with our doctor as, as far as deciding what steps that you want to work on in your health. Amazing. So before we leave for the day, um, I would love for you to talk about where we can find you, how do we follow you, what you're up to, anything you want to share with us? Yeah, I, uh, well, I do have a website, so you can go to drrobinmurphy.com, and I'm also on um, Instagram and Facebook, and my handle is just drrobinmurphy. Um, I'm also at a clinic um, in Ajax. Uh, this is just out of Toronto, and so I'll, I'll give you the URL for uh, the clinic where people can reach me if they're interested to come and see me. Yeah, we have all the links, so those will be in the show notes so we can stalk you. And yeah. thank you so much for coming on. This was gold. Um, thank you for letting me pick Thanks your brain. So and I'm yeah. sure the listeners really enjoyed it too. Yeah, my pleasure. I'm uh, so thrilled yeah, to be talking about this. And it, it was fun to, to talk with you as well.